Thanks for joining us today. I pray that this podcast will challenge you and encourage you as you walk with God. How many people are still doing the Bible reading? If you fell a little behind, come on, catch up. It's all right. You'll catch up. It's pretty amazing so far. But if anybody needs a copy, we have copies sitting out there. If you want to follow, in other words, it'll actually show you by paper what you're supposed to be reading. So, But most people are connected to the Bible app. I think there's like 63, 63 people or something like that. It's pretty cool. Alrighty, if you turn in your Bibles to Colossians 1, I'm going to continue my study today on Angel of Light, part 2, which comes from the scripture that the devil masquerades even as an angel of light. So last week I shared, I opened up the sermon series on the angel of light, talking about his different names, the different names for Satan and, and the different things he's called, which then gave uh, illumination to why he operates in certain ways. So from Beelzebub, Lord of the Flies, all the way down to many, many different names. I think there was like 17 of them. And I just wanted to lay the foundation to realize that he's a bad dude. I mentioned it last week, I believe, but there's some uh, gamuts of society, parts of society that are actually trying to uh, say that he's not a bad dude and that he's got a bad rap. No, he's a bad dude to his core. He's a father of lies. He uh, wants nothing more to still kill and destroy you. And he will do everything in his power to do that, right? So the reason why I'm preaching this series, if you'd ask why are we honoring Satan, we're not honoring Satan, we're disarming Satan. And how you disarm Satan is by giving people knowledge, because knowledge is power, amen? The Bible says without knowledge, people perish. So if you have knowledge about a situation, you're able to battle more effectively. Come on, somebody say amen. So that's what we're doing. We're not honoring him. We're not making him something that he isn't. He is still a fallen angel. He has got an eternity that he's going to spend in hell. Um, his time is short, but we do also want to be aware that he is active and he is operating in this time, right? So I wish if I could have my druthers or have my preference, I wish there was a book or even a chapter devoted to him, but there isn't. And that would make it a lot easier to preach on, right? So if you had a book, you know, whatever, that you could just go through. But it, the Bible doesn't work that way. But what it does is once in a while, it pulls back the curtain on certain things that he does and certain uh, descriptions of him and certain activities. And you have to take them and almost like patch them together like you would a quilt. And you take piece by piece by piece by piece and you bring it together so you can kind of get a whole vision of what he's like, of, of what he does, right? So you take specific scenes and references and piece them together to understand the whole. So today I want to share on his origin or when he was created and then his fall. Next week I'm excited about it because I'm actually going to pull the curtain back even more and kind of give you structure of how he works and how he operates according to the scriptures. I want to start off with this. Sadly, most people don't believe there is such thing as a devil or demons, and gradually, it's even infecting the church now where there's a, a lot of denominations that don't believe in the devil or demons. Or if they do believe in it, he's just an afterthought like other things. And so it's not something that we really educate ourselves on and we don't worry about it. And we just kind of, th this is the mentality we have. Fate or chance kind of determines our futures. And, you know, if we do good things, we'll have good karma and we'll reap. Good, I mean, and we might not use those words, but we kind of believe that. And I believe there's so much more going on be behind the scenes. I believe, I've said this so many times, but if God was to open up the heavens like, like, a, like a scroll and open it up, 
and you could see what was going on in the heavens, you probably would be blown away to see the warfare that's going on over your soul, over your family's soul, over your marriage, over your finances, over your life. And it's a battle. It's a battle. We know that. Why? Because the scriptures say we battle. It's a battle. And sometimes you go through seasons, and I'm telling you, somebody needs to hear this. You go through seasons where it seems like you're battling every single day. And then you go through a period of time where it seems like it kind of lets off, and you kind of have some peace and joy, and it seems like, oh, great, life's getting better. And then all of a sudden it comes back, you're like, you've got to be kidding me. But there's seasons, right? There's seasons that you battle. And so I want you to be clear of that. But a lot of people just don't put him where he should be. You don't understand who he is. Did you know the devil loves that we don't believe in him? He'd love nothing more than for you to think it's some kind of Hollywood superstition, right? He loves us to be ignorant even. He loves us to ignore him. Yet the Bible's very clear. He exists. He, in fact, is here on earth. I'm going to show you that. He is here on earth operating behind the scenes to accomplish his plans. I'm going to start by sharing a brief story of something that happened to me, and I'm not going to try to get too freaky into things, but there's a couple stories I want to share. Years ago, I made a decision. Me and my friend were hanging out, and we were, you ever meet a Christian that hasn't, doesn't have a whole lot of knowledge, but they have a whole lot of zeal? So they get in a whole lot of trouble because they don't know what they're doing. And so what happened is we made the decision one night to go out and pray and lay hands on every house in Canton. And it sounds good, right? Come on, it sounds good. But the Lord didn't tell us to do that. We did. And so that night we went out. It took us till about 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning, something like that. And we laid hands on every single house. And we were like so on fire. Like when I say fire, we had so much energy and passion. And we were like coming home like I'm strutting like I just prayed for Canton. I'm pretty amazing, you know. I'm dominating life, man. I'm a man of faith and power. I walk into my bedroom and something entered my bedroom. I did not see it, but I sensed it. It was as real as if somebody was standing there and I was scared to death. Now you understand, 20-year-old kid, 24 or 5, whatever it was at the time. Something entered my bedroom and I sat there on my bed with my light on, with my arms crossed, looking at my door because I knew something was standing there and I tried everything in my power to get rid of it and it didn't leave. And by morning, when this, finally the sun started coming up, it was around 5.36, it was during the summer, it began to dissipate and it was gone. And I remember I slept for a couple hours, got up, and I remember being kind of like, God, what's going on, man? I just prayed for Canton and this is, I mean, come on, that's my reward. And I'll never forget what he told me. He said, do not ever do anything that I tell you not to do. And basically, the lesson I learned at that moment is I didn't have the authority to do what I thought I was going to do. And you don't mess with things. You don't walk into things you don't have the authority to deal with. And it's very, very important you get that because a lot of people with exuberance go into things and they don't understand what they are and then they end up, you know, getting in trouble. So let me give you some examples. Uh, Years and years ago, even before then, um, I worked at Shop Beckett. I worked on the assembly line when I first went to the plant out of college and worked with a lot of different people. There was like 22, three different people, four people on a line, and we'd rotate every hour, and I ended up being by almost everybody by the end of the course of the day. And one day I went into work because I was a Christian, and I'd pray, and I'm like, you know, I'm going to ask this question, and, and you'll get a kick out of this. But, you know, as a Christian, you can't go up and say, do you believe in demons? You know, because people are gonna like, you know, you're fruity. That doesn't make any sense. So I, I use this. I said, do you believe in ghosts? And almost to a T, everybody there said yes. And then I asked the second question. I said, have you ever had anything supernatural happen to you? And to a T, almost everybody, I'd say 95% said yes. And so I'm sitting there going, this is incredible. People are dealing with supernatural things, but they're putting different labels on it because it's 
scary or maybe it's a way of whatever explaining it. And so I believe there are times when space and time is opened up and these things come through in whatever shape and form. I remember one um, lady giving me an example of something that happened to her that was absolutely incredible. I couldn't believe it. She didn't tell me at that time, but later in the break room, she comes over and says, I got to tell you a little bit about my experience. And she told me, she goes, I've never told anybody that's not even my husband because he would think I'm crazy. Another person talked about a dead relative visiting them after they died. And he was my best friend, so I know he wasn't lying. And I'm like, dude... That wasn't your relative. And I began to realize there's so much supernatural stuff going on out there that is, I think people just probably for the most part ignore because they don't know how to explain it. Or they think maybe people will think they're crazy. And so I learned early on that there is a devil, he is real, and he likes nothing more than to pervert us, to deceive us, and to lead us into things that are not true. And I learned real early on also that there are battles that God calls me to face, and there's battles that I have no business facing, and I stay away from those. Amen? So in this message, as I begin to show you, I want to reveal to you his creation and his fall, and that he is actually in our sphere. He's in the heavens, and we just can't see him because there's an unseen realm. And you can literally choose today to say, I don't believe that. That's fine. You don't have to believe it. It doesn't mean it's not there. And I believe as we go forward more and more and more, you're going to see more and more um, things taking place that are going to prove, uh, even the scripture says in the end times when the Antichrist has risen up, there's going to be all kinds of crazy things that go on. But I told you to turn to Colossians 1.16, right? If I didn't, if you would turn to Colossians 1.16. Are you, some of you like freaked out right now going, oh my gosh. All righty. Colossians 1.16, again, read the scripture and, and understand what it means. It says, for by him, which is talking, if you read the whole chapter, it's talking about Jesus. By him, all things, say all things. Is there anything that's not included in that? No, all things were created that are where? In heaven and on earth. So right away, there's a distinction between two places, right? Heaven and earth, right? It says, visible and invisible. I love scripture because it's so clear. So he has created all things that are in heaven and earth, things that are seen and things that are unseen. If it's saying that, then guess what? There's things that we don't see. I heard a story recently. I might have shared this, man. My mind is just like crazy with so much stuff going on right now, personal family. And so I'm trying to keep it all straight. But um, a pastor, I was listening to him recently, and he was telling the story that God told him he needed to take a day away. And so he went a, a day away to seek God on some certain things. And he said, I just went for this long walk, and I, a couple miles down the road, I ended up at this park, and I sit down on this park bench, and I just sit there, and there's a group of kids playing over there, and all of a sudden, I noticed this girl. She was a handicapped girl with crutches, and she kind of walked. She smiled at me and kind of walked my way. And she just said to him, she goes, hey, uh, God has sent me to tell you something. And he's like, whoa, that's, you know, cool. You know, I mean, who knows? You know, whatever. So he said, I'm going to be open to this, see what happens. And she said, the Lord told me to tell you that you're supposed to look at this, 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 and this. And gave him like three things and handed him a paper. And he's looking at this paper, and as he looks up, she's gone. And so he goes, hey, this is his comment. He goes, I think I was visited by an angel. I think I was. She disappeared. And so I think, this is my opinion, you can say what you want, scripture's filled with it, I think we're going to see more and more of the supernatural take place as we enter into more and more darkness, that's, you know, you can see it all over our world, our country, the hatred and the bitterness and the vileness and, the, and just the release of darkness, I think, I think we're going to see more and more of the supernatural come through the surface, right? 
So all things are created, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. It, he, he labels everything. All things were created through him and for him. So right away, we can understand that the earth and the heavens, everything, the angels, including Satan himself, was created by God. Now, some of you might, that might mess with you, but you need to understand. I'm going to give you a description of them real quick. When he was created, the Bible says he was perfection. He was created by God to be something that he never became. Come on. And so we need to understand, when he was created, uh, he was created in a beautiful image. So I need you to turn right now to Ezekiel 28. Uh, we're going to go through several verses. I'm not going to get into too much behind it. There's some people debate whether this is actually talking about the devil. I think if you want to get into it critically, maybe you can find some, but I think it's just too obvious. I've read so much about it already. I think it's too obvious for it not to be talking about him. There's too much in it. So... Ezekiel 28, tell me when you're there. And they'll put it up on the screen too, starting with verse 11. Now, I've shared this with you before, but a lot of times what happens with Scripture? The Scripture is applied to someone literally, and then also it's applied figuratively. And I'll show you the difference. So there's a lot of times there's a double meaning in Scripture, and we have to be aware of that. It can uh, literally apply to someone and then figuratively apply to someone else. So, moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre. Now, the king of Tyre was a literal figure. So this is like describing the king of Tyre, but we'll go into it and realize when it's talking about the devil. And say to him, thus says the Lord God, you are the signet or the model of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Now, if you wanted to stop there, then you could say, okay, well, that was really the king of Tyre. But listen to the next verse. You were in Eden, the garden of God. There's no way that the king of Tyre could have been in the garden of Eden at the beginning. It's impossible. So we know right away that it was meaning someone or something else. And I believe it's talking about Satan. Every precious stone was your covering, and it goes through these array of beautiful things. If you could picture this angel, when Lucifer was created, he was covered from head to toe in every perfect gem. He would a sparkle, because you can imagine uh, the, how, how bright it is in heaven and how much he must have sparkled, right? And uh, it goes on, and crafted in gold were your settings and your mountings or your engravings. On the day that you were created, so right away we know he was created. On the day that you were created... They were prepared. You were an anointed guardian cherub. He was anointed. He was a guardian cherub. I placed you. God says, I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God in the midst of stones of fire. You walked. You were blameless in the ways from the day you were created. So he was blameless. He was perfect. I mean, the perfection was all over him, right? And then it says, until unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade or your work, you were filled with violence in your midst, and you sinned, so I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God. I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. So that there was a point, and we'll get into it some more, when Satan's heart turned and began to sin, and that caused him to be cast out of heaven. Right? It goes... Right here, your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. There is a point where he began to believe the hype. There was a point when he began to read the newspaper clippings. And he began to believe what he was. Was he beautiful? Yes. Was he probably the most beautiful angel there was? Yes. But it's one thing to be that and another thing to proclaim it and elevate yourself in that. And that's what he did. And pride filled his heart. And because of that, 
God says, and says, I cast you to the ground. I expose you to the kings, before the kings, to feast their eyes on you. By the multitude of your iniquities and the unrighteousness of your trade, you profaned your sanctuaries. So I brought fire out from your midst. It consumed you, and I turned you to ash on the earth in the sight of all who saw you. All who know you among the peoples are appalled at you. You have come to a dreadful end and shall be no more. As I already said, for a moment in this chapter in Ezekiel, the curtain is pulled back and we get a glimpse. And, and here are the things that we see in this. There's more, but these are the main points. Number one, he was created. So the devil hasn't always been there. He was created, right? Number two, the description of what he looked like, which was amazing, beautiful, beyond our ability to even understand. Number three, the confirmation that he was actually in the Garden of Eden, which lines up with what? The temptation that took place with Adam and Eve. And number four, why he was cast out of heaven. It's important to know those things, to understand that. It gives you background. The Bible doesn't just leave you out there and gives you some cute story. It actually gives you background and puts the pieces together. Now, if you want to follow me with these, you can. If not, I'm going to jump through a couple different scriptures. In Isaiah 14, it says... Um, it further describes his pride. So here's another whole book in the Bible that, again, pulls back the curtain for a moment and reveals Satan and, and, and his dealings, specifically his pride. It says in verse 13, you said in your heart, I call these the five I wills. He says in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the Mount of Assembly on the utmost heights of Mount Ziphon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. So right there we see, and again, it was figurative and it was literal, but here it is, him declaring that he wanted to be like God. He wanted to be God. He wanted to be exalted and worshiped by God. I want to tell you this real quickly, touch on this very, very quickly. The fact is, he's after your worship. He's always after your worship because it's the thing he covets the most from you. He wants you to worship him. Now you say, well, I'm never going to bow down before an idol. That's not the worship I'm talking about. I'm talking about the worship where you give your heart to other things other than God. It's about putting God first in your life or second or third or fourth or fifth. Those are the areas where he loves to do. He loves to get us so, so distracted into things of this life that we don't put our affections on God first. We put it on other things. Um, a, a lot of people say, well, explain to me what you mean. When immediately something happens, you worry, immediately worry, and you try to fix things on your own immediately without giving them to God first. When somebody offends you and you hold on to it and don't give it to God first. Matter of fact, there's a beautiful scripture that Jesus tells a story of this guy that was going to go to the temple and bring his gift to the temple. He was going to bring a gift to God, basically, was what he's saying. And basically, God says, no, you stop before you bring your gift and go to the person that has an offense with you and make it right with them first, then bring your gift. See, you can't have two gods. And a lot of people think, again, they're confused because they look at it as like this God of worshiping like the devil. No, it's simply putting things above God. It's magnifying things in your life beyond God, above God. God is the first person we should turn to in every situation. It doesn't mean there isn't going to be times that we take care of things. We should take care of things. But the first thing that we cast our cares upon is who? The Lord. Not our spouse, not our kids, not ourselves. It's God. And it's so easy. If you want to know if you have idols in your life, step back. Step back for a moment and think of those things that get your affection the most, get your attention the most, get your finances the most. It's pretty easy to do if you just step back and ask the Lord to show you. 
So he said, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars. I will sit enthroned on the Mount Assembly on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I'll make myself like the most high God. Can I say something to you real quick? All he can ever do is try to plagiarize. He can never become God. He can make himself like God. You know, everything he does, he tries to duplicate what God is already doing, and that's how he tries to confuse us. All he can ever do is plagiarize. He doesn't have the ability to be creative in and of himself. He can't do it. He just tries to take something that God has done, and then he perverts it and changes it and causes us to get in trouble. Now listen to the passages in Revelation 12 that illustrate more of his fall. So I'm jumping all over the Bible where the Bible just opens the curtain for a moment for us to see the devil in his dealing. So this is dealing with his fall. Turn, if you would, to Revelation 12. If you want to turn your Bibles, if not, it'll be up there. We're going to start with verse 7. This is his fall from heaven and earth. And in verse 4, it actually tells you that the dragon's tail swept a third of the stars. And, and it's all allegorical, but it's not, it's not without understanding. The dragon is Satan. And it says that later, if you read it, it's, it's Satan. But he took a third of the stars, which means he took a third of the angels when he was thrown out. But starting with verse 7, it says here, A war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, Michael the archangel, fought against the dragon, which is the devil, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. He lost his place in heaven. So this is the woe is part. Ready? Where did he get thrown to? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. The great dragon was hurled down, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, there we know, it defines it, who leads the entire earth astray. I talked to somebody last night about this. We had a meeting, and I said, we've got to quit getting mad at the other side, if it's Democrats. We've got to quit getting mad at people. We've got to understand they're blinded, people. The enemy has deceived people. They're blinded. They cannot see. If you're going to get in a fight with someone and they're blind, would that be a fair fight? But yet some of you get engaged in fighting. Stop it! If I stood you up, okay, we're going to fight. The only thing is the person you're fighting can't see. You'd be like, well, this, I can't do that. That's not right. But that's exactly spiritually how it is. It says the God of this age has mind, blinded the minds of unbelievers. They don't see. The God of this age is wreaking havoc. He's the Satan. He was hurled to the earth. He leads the whole world astray. It says he was hurled to the earth, his angels with them. So why, 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 and I, listen, I'm not trying to be condemning to you, but why does it surprise us when bad things happen? Why does it surprise you? It should not surprise you when bad things happen. It should not surprise you when there's demonic things being, come on, when abortion is becoming so rampant. It shouldn't be surprising when they're trying to take away your rights, when uh, the homosexuality and lesbianism and transgenderism, and going, I could go on and on and on and on and on. It should not surprise you. Should not surprise you, but yet it continually does. And I'm like, it's because we're not educated. We don't know there's a devil behind the scenes, behind in the details that's creating these things, stirring these things up. And can I be honest? A lot of you are like, well, I don't know if there's an issue with that. You want to know why I have an issue with it? Because all that's being created out there constantly points back to Christianity and attacks Christianity. It doesn't attack Muslims. It doesn't attack Islam. All the things that are going on out there that we disagree with, they turn around and immediately attack us. And right away, I know, I know I, I, I'm standing on truth. Because if I, I, if I served a powerless religion, they'd have no reason to attack us. 
If I, I, if I stood on, uh, you know, stood next to a powerless cross, a bloodyless cross, then there is no reason for us to be attacked. But our, you know, it's even the simple things. It's cliche, but why do they use the name Jesus Christ in vain? Why don't they say Charlie Brown? Why don't they say Muhammad? But people use Jesus Christ. There's a reason, because there's power in the name of Jesus. Think about this. Even things like God, it. It's so commonplace. And, we, and you know, people get upset and say it, and they don't think much about it, but they don't realize. Again, it's the devil behind the scenes. Even the small little things causing us and the world to say things that are an affront to the Lord. So with a few minutes I have left, I want to unweave some of this and, 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 and put it together so you can see it. I'm going to go really quickly, so if you would just take the notations down, because I don't have a whole lot of time. But in the beginning, the first verse, it says, God created the plural and the earth, earth. So again, right off the bat, first verse, he created a plural heaven. So right away, we know there's at least two. Come on, follow me. Okay? Nehemiah 9.6 says this, you alone are the Lord, you made the heavens, even the highest heavens, the heaven of heavens, and all their starry hosts, the earth and all that is in it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to everything and the multitudes of heaven worship you. So I believe this shows that there's a clear distinction between two different heavens. I believe one is where the stars and, the, and, the, and the, um, basically the, the, the universe is, and I believe the other ones is actually the highest heaven or the heavens is where the angels abide. It's where the supernatural, it's, it's God's throne, right? Deuteronomy 10.14 further illustrates this. It says, to the Lord your God belongs the heavens. Again, plural. Even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. If there wasn't more than one heaven, there's no need to say that. It should have said God created the heaven and the earth. But several times through scriptures it talks about the heavens, the highest heavens. Sometimes we get so complicated that we forget it's pretty obvious. Again, 1 Kings 8.27. But will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heavens, cannot contain you. Oh, come on. How much less the temple I built. So here it is again explaining. How can God be contained even in one heaven? He's everywhere. Okay? So this seems to, apply, seems to imply what? There's at least two heavens. And then we got this crazy guy that comes along named Paul who says there's a third heaven. So in 2 Corinthians 12, if you write that down, it's verse 2 through 4, it goes, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Now listen, this isn't just cute words. There's an actual third heaven. So there must be a what? Second heaven, and there must be a first heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to the third heaven and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. So Paul says there's three heavens. Now, I'm going to try to describe them as best I can. I'm sure they're not exactly perfect, but I'm going to go through them as, as quickly and as best I can. I believe what he saw was the heaven. 
I believe the third heaven is where God dwells. I believe the third heaven is, um, is where the angels dwell. I believe it's where God's throne is. That's what he saw. That's why he said, I saw things that I can't even express. Why? Because if any of us got a glimpse of heaven, we'd be like, okay, see you, earth, later, I'm going. You know, you've heard the stories that people have passed through a little bit and then they come back. Most of them don't want to come back because of what they see is so amazing. And so I believe that's what he saw. He saw this, this beautiful picture of heaven and just was like blown away. This is what caused him so much awe. I believe that's the third heaven. Now this is the second heaven. This is what I believe. I believe the second heaven is where the stars, the moon, and the galaxies exist. I believe it's outer space. I believe that's what it's talking about. That second, again, uh, this is my belief. You can argue one way or the other. It doesn't matter. All we know, there is three heavens. You decide how they want to work out. But most people believe that the third heaven is, is actually where God's throne is. The second heaven is the stars, the moon, and the galaxies exist. And then the first heaven is literally the sky or the atmosphere around the earth. There's a distinct three different levels of heaven, okay? First heaven, atmosphere. Second heaven, the galaxies. Third heaven, God's kingdom, God's throne, okay? So, what does that mean for me? And again, I want to paraphrase this because I believe this is my belief and I believe there's proof to back it up, but I believe this atmosphere, the earth's atmosphere, the sky is where the devil lives. I believe it. I believe it's in the first heaven is where the devil's at. Now I want to tell you, there's a reason why I believe that. And I want you to follow me. I believe because the Bible says in revelation, what that he was in heaven battling, and then he was thrown to earth. So shouldn't the language, if he's on earth, say that the devil is in earth. It doesn't necessarily say that, though. We know he's on the earth because the scriptures are clear. He's on the earth. But what it says is this, and I want to use the scripture. It's one of my favorite scriptures. Ephesians 6 goes what? It says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities, against the world rulers of darkness, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So there is a heaven that they're dwelling in, that they're operating out of, that has some connection to earth. And I'm going to simply put it in my terms because I'm a simple man. I believe it's the unseen realm that we can't see. Again, and I'm not saying this to freak anybody out, but I believe if the curtain was rolled back, we would see all kinds of angels and demons. We'd probably be a little freaked out. There's an unseen realm that's operating at all times. Thank God the blood of Jesus protects us. Come on. There's a hedge of protection around us. I believe that this heavenly place or this this atmosphere around the earth, I believe um, they're still dwelling and operating there. And And if that's the case, then it should be of no surprise why we face what we face in these times. Matter of fact, Romans 8 says, the earth is groaning. It literally, did you know that when, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, that it not only impacted mankind, it impacted the earth? Romans 8 says, the earth is groaning for the manifestation or the revelation of godly men and women to restore the earth to what it was supposed to be. So the Bible says, it's groaning. It's groaning. I want to close with this. It's important. Revelation 12, I'm going to go back to that. Verse 11 says, They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of his testimony. And did they not love their lives so much as to shrink from death? It's talking about us. Talking about Christians, believers. 
We overcome the enemy by the blood of Jesus and by the word of our testimony. You know what that means? It's by sharing what God has done in your life and setting other people free. That's how people are set free and overcome the enemy, by you using your testimony to set other people free. You've been to hell and you get through it. You then share that hell with people that are going through hell to get them through it. They share the hell. Next thing you know, you're blessing countless amounts of people. That's how we overcome them. So important. So important. Ready? And there it is. Verse 12. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He, now this is key right here. He is filled with fury. That's not just slightly angry. Have you ever met somebody that gets so upset that they can't control themselves? Have you ever met somebody that gets so angry that they're like blinded to common sense? It's like rage. Guess what? Guess what the devil is? The devil is in that place continuously. He's constantly in such a fury, in such a rage, that many times he makes the mistake of like killing Jesus. <laughs> he didn't realize he was working God's plan. But he's like, oh, we killed the Son of God. Wait, we win. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, crap. He got resurrected on the third day, and now I'm in trouble. He's so full of rage, all he knows is to kill and steal and destroy. It's all he knows. And I'm not preaching this to get you all, all worried. I'm preaching this to get you educated so you understand that there's a devil out there that despises you and hates you and he'd like nothing more than have access into your life to mess with you. But here it is. He's filled with fury. Why? Because he knows that his time is short. It's coming to an end. So what is he doing? He's trying everything in his power to take as many people as he can with him. Addiction, suicide, you go on and on. I mean, the numbers are astounding of what's happening in this country, in this world, through addiction, through depression, through suicide. I mean, incredible amounts of death. I mean, surpassing numbers we never thought was possible. He is desperate to take as many as he can with him because he knows where he is going. He knows where he is going. His time is short. Time is short. When I was thinking about preaching this, I, there was a hesitation in me because I didn't want us to swing too far to the other end where we just start looking for the devil behind every bush. How many people know that's not God? But what Jesus did is whenever he ran into the devil, he took care of it. Whenever a devil crossed his path, he took care of it. And that's what we're called to do. Some of you are battling with situations in your family, in your relationship, in your marriage, and you don't realize that the devil's behind it. He's stirring things up. He's constantly putting his finger into different things and causing issues and pushing buttons. And the whole time, all you see is the obvious. And that's all you're stating and all you're declaring. You're saying, oh my gosh, we're in trouble. This is never going to change. It's never going to change. And for once, I declare in the name of Jesus Christ, according to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit opens your eyes to the battle that's going on for your marriage, for the battle that's going on for your kids, for the battle that's going on for your job, the battle that's going on for your soul, the battle that's going on for your mind, the battle that's going on. Because it will give you a completely different perspective to handle your situation completely different. Thanks for listening to our podcast today. If you'd like any more information, please visit us at www.lighthousecanton.com. God bless.